filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So guys, I uh, I got to go spend a lot of money on booze today. And oh it's my gosh! Tuesday. Is this is this the sale? This is the sale. Uh, the Bay sale Ridge we talk Lagos. about every year, and I always get excited and never get to. Yes. I, well, it's I feel like this is at least partially my responsibility since I never say when it is. I just remember for myself. Um, but then I tell people about it when it's months away, and they get excited about it, and then I forget to say anything more, and then it happens. Or you um, go on the last day of the sale. Yeah, I did and, that last time. In, in yeah. they do it in uh, I want to say February and September. I think that's anyway. Right. What um, booze did you buy, Jason? Let us um, live vicariously through you. Okay, so I restocked on Covassier, which I have not had in a while. Um, uh, I found uh, Ryan Kiefer, our uh, sometimes uh, co-host and writer on the site, found some. Um, not your father's root beer that was ten point seven percent. I found two bottles of that that are like like liter bottles. Um, so I'm gonna drink one of those at some point and be completely hammered. It's gonna be great. Um, <laughs> uh, what else did I get? Um, you know what you should do with it. You know what you should do with the root beer. Drink it. You make a float. Put ice cream in it and drink it. I might do that, but Boozy I think the, for the first one, I just want to drink it straight because I haven't had the ten point seven version before. Okay, that's um, fair. But you also have the to do ice one, cream at some point. Right. Um, what else did I get? I'm actually I'm in my kitchen for once, so I can see some of it, but it's not at a good angle, so I can't see it well. Um, I got um, Espolone uh, Reposado Tequila. Um, they do not carry the uh, Technico uh, Luchador branded tequila that uh, I've fallen in love with. Um, and it turns out my friend that loves tequila more than me uh, told me that it was an awesome tequila, and he was amazed that it cost like thirty something dollars for a bottle. I don't know about Espolone. I've never had it, but I have it now. Um, that's Cal. I got uh, some kind of rye that I can't remember the name of now because this happened early. Um, and uh, I'm gonna actually go. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach across. Hold on a second. Okay, Jason. Jason is leaving the frame of the shirt uh, of of the screen. I say shirt because I just realized Jason is wearing a shirt that uh, I I don't know. I think you knew about it before I recommended it to you, but I did recommend you uh, the clean sheet company, Maryland yes. shirt. And then you yeah, are wearing it right now. It's a, it's an excellent shirt. They, they do good work. Um, I got a uh, Cody road, uh, rye whiskey, um, which is from, Hell, oh, it's it's uh, Cody is named after Buffalo Bill Cody, um, so it's an it's it, it's actually an Iowa with uh, Iowa rye because that is where he began his exploits, I guess. Because in the past, the West extended that far. I don't know. Um, I never only heard that of it. far. I'd never heard of it, but uh, it it has some high praise on the internet. So um, I was out of rye. Um, I got some more beer. Uh, that I can't remember either, and this segment is going on long enough, so I guess I'll just say it, it looked like good beer. 
Okay. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the drinking podcast with a soccer problem, also associated with blackandredunited.com. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com. We've got a good show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, DC United's comeback draw against the Chicago Fire. I guess it was also a lose the lead draw. There was... There were swings in that game, Uh, and we're going to talk about them. We're also going to talk to Michael Citro from TheMainland.com about DC United's upcoming visit from Orlando City Soccer Club. That game is Saturday, 7 p.m. at RFK Stadium, so go. Go to the stadium. It's been a while. You should go. Uh, Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking tonight? I'm going with something easy, easy on the body, easy on the... Easy on the life. Just going with a nice, good old bourbon and ginger. Okay. How you feeling? I'm feeling okay. That's get a little ginger ale on my stomach. There you go. And of course, adulterate it with some bourbon. Naturally. Naturally. I, I kind of like the expression "easy on the life." Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes you need. You sometimes you need something that's easy on your life. Exactly. I like how you're drinking it out of stemware too. You got a nice snifter there for your yeah. bourbon ginger. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Jason, which of your many fine below retail cost liquors are you drinking tonight? Uh, I ran out of time uh, to open any of the beers or make a drink. So I ended up just throwing some ice in a glass uh, and uh, going with the old favorite, uh, Cavassier. Uh, I guess it's the XSOP. It's it's the good one. It's the better of the two. Um, yes. Yes, I said the letters right. Um, so, once again, back with uh, the Apple Notes of Gavassier. I, I really do recommend it, not just because of the Tim Meadows SNL skits. It's actually really good liquor. Um, very easy to drink straight. Uh, it's an all spirits, all distilled spirits episode this week. I am drinking uh, kind of the a fall play on a Pimm's Cup, uh, I guess. It is... Bourbon and Pims with some orange bitters in it. Mostly bourbon, but some Pims in there and and some orange bitters. I'm just glad it's not a pumpkin spice Pims cup. It is not. In fact, I should be though. I have standards, sir. (laughs) Do you? I I hang out with you, so (laughs) I hang out with you guys, so my standards aren't high. But they are higher than argument anymore. They are higher than pumpkin spice Pims cup. That's fair. If anyone wants to make a pumpkin spice Pim's cup and let us know how it goes, please do. Filibusterpodcast uh, at gmail.com. Well, we will play the audio for your video if yeah, you send us a video of that. We are not going to do that. No. No, we you are not. To, you have to do that to yourself. Ben might. Ben might do that. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about soccer now. Uh, not give Ben time to respond to that. The... I, I like this. You mentioned Ryan Kiefer earlier, and he coined a nice phrase this week, the cardiac Capitalinos. And they struck again Friday night, uh, DC United, uh, Captain Bobby Boswell scoring in the second minute of second half stoppage time to draw the fire on the road. Uh, DC scored first in this one through Rob Vincent. Hooray for indirect free kicks in the box. The most exciting play in soccer. Uh, of course, United would go on to give up two actually pretty quick goals to Cochise and Nakam 
before the fire, and then eventually uh, finding the late equalizer, uh, very late equalizer. In fact, this is, I, I think it was Steven Streff who pointed out, this is four goals in stoppage time in the last three games for DC United, and that has resulted in exactly two points, which, which is insane. Well, one of those goals is an 89th minute goal. 89th minute. Okay. Yes. And the 89th so minute goals later, after, and, yeah. It's, and it's ridiculous even more, either way. It's even more goals if you, you know, expand it to like the 84th minute. <laughs> it's like five goals in, in those late stages. Uh, but still, only two points to show from it from these, these three games. What is going on, Ben, with these late goals? And is it a good thing or a bad thing? Because I'm honestly not sure. I mean, I guess it's a good thing that they're able to co- to score the late goals and come back or almost come back. I mean, it's the bad part of is obviously that they're making themselves have to score the goals. Exactly. That's the bad part, but the late goals themselves are good. And yeah, even though we can't, we certainly can't keep expecting them, even though they keep coming week after week and Lamar Nagel released the Nagel. He, he just provides and provides, but yeah, I mean, as I'm sure we'll get into, it's the fact that they, Give get themselves in the situation to need the late goals and l- lose leads and claw back to only get one point instead of three points that have them looking at the wrong side of the New England revolution right now for the playoffs. Yeah. Given Lamar Nagel's goal-scoring motion against the Red Bulls, I don't know if release the Nagel is the right turn of phrase to use. <laughs> it was a rather thrusty move. It, the ball went in off yeah. his knee or his thigh, but his hips were definitely moving in his that hips, direction. His hips don't lie. They do not. Um, they do score goals, though. Yep. Uh, I think the biggest story from this game in Chicago, though, is the the midfield and just kind of the lack of urgency, lack of energy. And and Matt Doyle, I think, put it properly when he said it was a very un-DC United-like effort from the midfield trio in this one. Jason, were you surprised by that? And what do you make of it? It's a huge surprise. Um, we've seen all season that Luciano Acosta for a number 10 works very hard. Um, he loves to get make make tackles. He loves to get involved without the ball. Um, or maybe it's more that he hates not having the ball. Um, one of those two things is motivating him to go try and get the ball. Um, it seemed like he and Marcelo just didn't have the legs. It was, it was a strange thing to see. It was a puzzling thing because – those are guys you usually don't have to worry about as far as um, it's not so much effort as much as that energy to have, you know, the extra five yard sprint that you need to go pressure somebody early. Um, it's never going to be a good thing for United if those two and Rob Vincent are starting and Vincent is the guy that played the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a knock on Vincent. He just doesn't have the passing range or even the tendency to, to make tackles that those guys have. Um and it it was not it's not great to see i mean chicago's midfield is not it's one of their better areas but they're not great or even like mid table in that department um rosvan kochis is is a decent enough player if he was here he would probably be in the mix to start i think he would probably hold off jared jeffrey and rob vincent to be that third guy but he would be the third guy and it would be clear to everybody that he was third and in this game he not the got, team captain which he is in chicago yeah, well, I mean, Chicago's got other problems, um, but uh, you know, he he was the he dominated the midfield. Um, Matt Polster helped out. Um, 
you know, they, they, they got help from uh, Louis Solignac, who's not even a natural central player. Um, and that was their central midfield trio. It really should have been an area that United dominated, and instead they were dominated. Um, they were outplayed pretty conclusively through the middle of the field. Even even DC getting the goal seemed sort of a. It wasn't out of the blue necessarily, but it wasn't like they had been knocking on the door for twenty minutes and then got their goal. Um, it was sort of a fluke play. I mean. On another day, Boswell scores, actually, in the lead-up to that. If his first touch doesn't let him down, he just gets a goal. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm a little curious. Uh, um, I think with Lucho, it might have just been an off day. Um, with Marcelo, though, I'm a little concerned because we're talking about a guy in his mid-30s who – and we've everyone has been talking. This isn't just our, our thing. It's anyone observing this team. United is incredibly dependent on him. On in all phases yeah. of the game, and he's in his mid thirties, and now we're hitting. You know, I think this will be the thirtieth game of the season coming up this weekend. Yeah, um, and he his only break has been suspensions. Um, when he's suspended, he gets a, a game off. Other than that, he has to go every week, and the lack of ability to rest him at some point may be coming back now. Um, I'm not saying that th- this shouldn't be the indicator that that's true, but if he has another off game against Orlando, then we have to start thinking maybe that is the case. Um, because it's although, it's although with Marcelo, if he has an off game, you expect maybe he's going to get a yellow card, and he's one yellow card away from a suspension right now. So that would give him a, a nice break, <laughs> a one a one game rest. It is good that he didn't get booked against Chicago, so he can play against Orlando. Yeah, because we um, do have a short week coming. Right, um, with the the most important week of the season, uh, yeah. quite frankly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily the uh, you know people shouldn't be hitting the alarm yet, but they should be at least like cognizant of where the button to hit the alarm is as far as that subject goes, because when you see a guy that that has been so characteristically difficult to play against all year suddenly not deliver the goods. And and it wasn't like DC played midweek and then he was out of gas on the weekend. Um, They had the week off. It's not even that long of a road trip as far as MLS goes. Um, For every other league in the world, it would be your longest road trip of the year. But um, that's in MLS. It's like, oh, Chicago, that's not bad. Um, But yeah, it it just uh, it wasn't there in central midfield. Um, And I'll bail them out a little bit by saying they didn't really get all that much help from elsewhere, um, I mean, it's Arco funny because they ended up as bad as they looked. They still ended up dominating possession, especially as the game went on. Well, I think that's a, a little bit of a game state situation too. Yeah, um, because Chicago has not been Chicago is not really a confident possession team, and the the lineup they put on the field really didn't lend itself to 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 that. And so they had the lead, and they said, "Let's just sit back and we'll break out with David Akam or play long to Arshakian, who." Uh, is still a giant. Um, it turned he out is. he didn't. He He's didn't an stop being a giant. Human. Yeah, he didn't stop being a giant from his first appearance at RFK. Uh, he stayed the same height, which I don't know why I would have thought otherwise. But and but for Bobby Boswell, it would have it would have worked. Yeah, uh, no, it, it, it almost worked. Yeah, um, you know, it, it is. I, I guess it's a little weird to see DC relying so often on Burnbaum as the the target striker now. Um, yeah. But teams if it, are if bad it were at only, dealing with it. 
if it were only on set pieces <coughs> and if it worked earlier in the game, mm-hmm. uh, and it and it and it has worked earlier in the game. Just if mm-hmm. it worked more earlier in the game, to the extent that they don't have to do it quite well, so often at the end of the game, then it would be it would be a, a unqualified good thing that burn bomb is basically unstoppable on set pieces right now right if you can if you have the service quality to find him he is winning every single battle in the box against any defender in the league it's incredible the guy's in this ridiculous kind of heat seeking missile mode and it's awesome and he's also laying down good headers yes for, for others yeah he's he's not just like trying to go to goal he's laying it off four teammates are sending it back across goal so a teammate can score. He's being incredibly unselfish in a fantastically good way. And I don't have enough good adverbs to unnecessarily add to my sentences um, to describe the way Birnbaum's been on set pieces, but we're doing it so much. Yeah, it's 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 certainly a level of over-reliance. Um, it's not really the style of play that any you, you don't want to have to rely on that very often. You want it to be a desperation thing rather than a two weeks in a row thing. Um, I will say and if that he it keeps is, getting a goal or an assist every week, I'm happy. Um, <laughs> I mean, if they keep not losing, but at a certain point, United United does have to win at least one of these games. Yeah, it's true. Um, even with as bad as the East is, they have to win at least one. And now the Revs have. Uh, the finally, sneaky, sneaky revs. They, well, they finally changed. I don't know why it took Jay Heaps like three years to figure out that he needed a different look sometimes. Because he's Jay Heaps. Yeah, that's actually why. And wasn't he? What, what, what wasn't he being? What was he being? A real estate agent, an insurance salesman? He was. He was doing like financial advising. I think yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Uh, in between games of golf, right? Um, it, it, which it, he it, is it, always dressed for. It still shows. <laughs> um, but no, I I will say one thing. If this is going to be how take it in if it's going to be all these heart-stopping games and Burnbaum playing as a forward for five minutes every week. Um, it is going to get Julian Buescher on the field more often um, because if Lloyd Sam comes out, United doesn't really have a set-piece taker and that is going to influence yeah. Buescher getting into games and it was his corner kick that DC got the goal on. Um, and so, you know, that's a positive, you know, that's one positive out of the situation but I also feel like this is – I th- feel like United had already used up all their good luck against the Red Bulls. Um, and to do it again against Chicago, I feel like there's like a yeah, double – It's like thing. a double penalty of luck uh, when you're having to, to reach deep in, into the luck bag for Chicago. That means that the next week you have to deliver the like – professional calm to nothing like the the portland the portland game is a good example the professional two nothing win in which there's very little to worry about in the 80th minute yeah um, that's what has That'd to be follow nice. that and because otherwise you find yourself in deep trouble and maybe it doesn't happen uh again and if you if dc doesn't beat orlando at home they've got a big problem yeah that's that's absolutely right especially with a trip to columbus who suddenly have Justin Miram of all people playing out of his mind as a number 10. And we'll talk about that on next week's show. But uh, I, I got to say, it's not the offense that's been the issue, which is weird for DC United in the last, well, existence of this podcast. You know, four and a half years, Ben Olsen has been in charge and offense has not been something we didn't have to worry about. And I'm just going to throw as many negatives into that sentence as I can. Seven of the last eight games, DC United has scored multiple goals against Chicago, against New York, against New York City, 
uh, against Chicago again, against New York again, against Portland, against Philly. Multiple goals. But they've given up multiple goals in uh, six of those eight games, which is a weird stat for DC United because Ben Olsen has been defense first most of the time that he's been here. No matter what system he's running out, it's usually pretty solid at the back. And that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Ben, what do you make of this development? Because I'm I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the idea of DC United as a team that needs to score three goals to win. Well, in in, in this case, I mean... I think a lot of it would have been alleviated if there, if we had had a healthy Sean Franklin because Sean Franklin doesn't make the marking mistakes and the uh, passing mistakes and the positional mistakes. And I'm sorry, Luke Mishu, but you made a lot of mistakes. And so is Bobby Boswell. Well, I was getting there, so yeah, be quiet. Yeah. Um, and Start with the most glaring mistakes first. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, Passing it to Frank Lampard, not a good choice. Or right. to David V. Not a good choice. Yes. And I mean, Sean Franklin, when needed uh, in, in emergencies, sometimes plays center back and he's good in the air for a full pack. And he probably he almost definitely prevents that first goal. Uh, but yeah, Bobby Boswell has also been not his regular self. And it's interesting because his game since he's been back in D.C. has not been predicated. I mean, really never his game. His game has never been predicated on him being a physical specimen that outruns or outstrengths people. He's always been a cagey guy who uh, uses tricks and positioning and refs not looking directly at him when he pushes people into the ground uh, to to get by and to and to win. And I don't know if refs are looking at him more and calling more things or uh, he's lost an- another half a step more and it just, he, he can't work even uh, his normal stuff anymore. But I, I mean, he's what, 33, 30, 33. He's, he's getting he, up there. He, he's actually, I think he's 33 this year. Yeah. So, I mean, even for a center back, he's getting up there. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping he can at least finish out the season strong, and it's a blip in this season. But I mean, going into next year, we're definitely going to have to think about a competition. To somebody needs to be somebody needs to mount a challenge to Bobby yes. Boswell's throne. He is right. thirty-three, by the way, and okay. make a spirited chance at taking him down. I do love the fact, and this is this is something about the absurdity of of sports. We are all in our early mid thirties on this podcast. And we are talking about retiring a player that is exactly right. our age. He's, he's younger than me. He's, he's, he's a couple years older than me. He is and, a few months older than me. Um, and, and I also had to talk about uh, Marcelo who is, yeah, who is older same. than all of us, but we is still he? feel okay because he is older than us. He is 34. I'm 34. Well, Maybe it's time he's older for than me. He is back. older than he turns thirty five yeah, I mean, I mean, next month. I, we he didn't want to say this, but a, Adam, I, I, I do think Jason has kind of lost a step on the podcast, and uh, I think that's fair. Wait, and I, you know, I, I do I need point, to start fouling because I'll do the, it. At this point, I'm relying on my reading of the podcast and not my physical speed to to uh-huh. get us through the game. I'm really um, if I, if I lose another half a step, man, I I don't know how much longer I have left. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I'm w- I'm willing to cheat a lot 
to, to maintain my spot. Jason is much more likely to kick you in the ankles than I am. I am uh, much less of a dirty player than him. That, that comes from my years fewer of indoor soccer experience, I think. The battlegrounds of uh, the DMV. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, it's the Indiana boy. Let's be honest. It's the Indiana. It's the too the much corn. This is boy. why you were trying to, to drive via uh, actual racing rules rather than Beltway death rules. It's true. I did not have a <laughs> knife in either hand, so I was not driving under Beltway rules. <laughs> and that that is a deep cut for those only for our regular listeners. Anyone who's not a regular listener will not understand that reference at all. Guys, anything else you're taking away from this Chicago game uh, before we turn our attention to something else that's maybe at least mildly distressing? Uh, I think, you know, we Ben talked about Luke Nishu. I think that's a an issue that's going to be ongoing, especially because to, you know, get ahead of this segment and go to talk about Orlando, um, they've been moving that, that attacking midfield trio around and with Kaká able to play on the left, it would be very tempting to me if I was Jason Christ to say, why don't we just run him out on the left this week and have Perez Garcia in the middle, Kevin Molino on the right, and see what Kaká can do against Mishu. Um, yeah. But United, well, maybe, against, maybe against De Leon. Put, just put well, De Leon out there. Well, here's the thing. Like, even Can't if, be worse. Even if it doesn't work, he can always just put Molino out there. Molino is... Uh, one of the better midfielders in the league. He's got, I think, 10 goals or 11 goals this season. Um, He's one of those guys that no one talks about and yet is consistently excellent. Um, So I think, and and Ben, you know, Ben mentions De Leon. I think that's got to be considered. But on the other hand, um, he came in against Chicago and he did help the attack, but he also got, I I haven't rewatched the game yet, but he got beaten at least twice pretty cleanly. Uh, one-on-one. The one-on-one defending is just not there. That's because not what Daleon's strength is. No, and he spent his career playing elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And think- so he doesn't have the day-in, day-out experience of, of dealing with that as as being a, like, you have to get this right or things will go terribly wrong situation. Like, yeah, in in uh, in the midfield, you have to pe- deal with people one-on-one, but the consequences aren't there. Yeah, there. Um, I mean, anytime a defensive midfielder moves back to center back, which happens pretty regularly in MLS, mm-hmm. you you see them. Harry Kitchen. You yeah, exactly. You see them make a play or try to make a play or attempt a tackle that is very much not a center back play. It's a central midfield play, and as a center back, you have a there's a different calculus you have to go through. I want to see Jalen Robinson at right back. I know he's a center back going forward and he should be a center back going forward. But for this week, I'm okay throwing him out on the right. He's he's sneaky strong and he's, he's actually sneaky decent in the air. And he's, he's actually a fantastic in the air and he's a sneaky set piece target and he's quick and he's, his reading of the game has improved dramatically over last year. And you know, the we gave up three goals against NYC, but in his one-on-one battles with David Villa, you know, when Luke Mishu didn't just give him the ball behind the defense, Jalen acquitted himself incredibly well, I thought. And, and I'd like to see him on the, the right side of this this defense just because he will make sure he wins those one-on-one battles. He's, the best, he's definitely anybody. the best defender as an option. And, and the other thing to mention um, from the NYCFC game is that until the Mishu back pass that gave them their first goal, 
DC kind of had that game under control. Like that, that game, game, was, that game was not wild until the end. Um, mm-hmm. And that goal kind of, I mean, NYCFC was already, I mean, they at halftime they made the move to a back three. They, they are not a team that waits on tactical shifts or throwing the kitchen sink at you. But United was handling it until the men- the mental side of the game changed when they got that goal. Um, so I, I I am interested in that, um, especially since the other choice there would be move, playing him in the middle and moving Burnbaum to the right, which has happened right. before. Right. But against Kyle Laren, I feel like I want Burnbaum up against Kyle Laren athletically, exactly. Um, rather than shifting him out to the right, especially because if Jason Christ sees that and he's like, "Oh, I've got Kakai out there, I'll just move him." Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't have Burnbaum chase him across the back four, um, and playing different positions over and over again, because it's, it's, they're not as adjustable. Attacks are easy to, to mess with. You just, oh, it's switch wings. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I every game Burnbaum you see, in front of goal too. I, no matter yeah. who's in the middle for Orlando or the other team, I want him mm-hmm. in the box. I want him right. between the goalposts yeah. and, yeah. and that. It's not going to happen if he's so, playing fullback. Jalen's faster as well. Yeah. Jalen, um, you know, the, you have to pass wherever you are in the field. But I think Jalen's right. crossing is probably better than burn bombs. Yeah. Um, at the very least, his his ability to hit a through ball is certainly better than than burn bombs. And I want that further up the field, which a fullback will be. I think just of the two, I would much rather oh, yeah. leave burn oh, bomb yeah. in his natural position and not disrupt our center back partnership and also have Jalen on the outside. That would be my preferred solution in this. Uh, I think the most likely thing we'll see is Mishu again, uh, but um, I, I do wonder after two, two games or two out of three games with a mistake that led directly to a goal, um, you know, the one game you get kind of get away with it. Um, like, okay, everyone makes mistakes sometimes. Um, but to do it again, uh, I would, I feel like Olsen is going to go a different way. Um, I hope you're right. I do. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be Robinson or De Leon, um, yeah. especially since it's a home game there. The, the temptation is to add one more attacking player. And I mean, if especially we're being honest, because that lets you put Vincent on the field. Or keep that Vincent and, on the field and that, get and you out get, there. And, and you're able to attack a team that can't really defend. Uh, Orlando has been giving up goals all year long. So um, that is very tempting. But the other side of that is Kaká and, and or Molino are going to line up at, on the left wing there. So do you say, let's risk De Leon and see what happens? Do you, do you roll the dice? Or do you say, let's let's play Robinson and make sure that we're not giving away a goal in a game, especially since United has been letting games kind of get away from them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't th- to go back to something, Adam, you mentioned earlier that United tends to be def- defense first. I don't think they want these games to be as wide open as they've been. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think they have been losing their ability to control games and therefore end up, especially on the road. Cause they've played three in a row on the road. They've ended up in games where the circumstances are not, Beneficial. I mean, yes, they managed to avoid defeat twice and really should have been able to. You, you don't score an equalizer in stoppage time and not get a draw in that game. Yeah. Um, so they really should have come home with an un, uh, unbeaten road run. I know it's three draws, but they should have been able to pull it off. They were very close to doing so. But I mean, they were 20 minutes away from getting a win at Yankee Stadium, too. But those are not the way that those games ended. It's not a replicable thing. You can't keep doing that and expect Mm -hmm. it to work, Um, which we talked about last year when 
they had the 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 six four game and the three two game, um, and then followed that up with uh, the one shot one kill game in Montreal. None of that is replicable. You can't do that and expect to win games because they were behind two nothing twice. You don't win when you're down two nothing. Come on. Um, and this is the same kind of thing. Like if you give up two goals on the road and are down two nothing or two one headed in the stoppage time, you generally don't get anything out of those games. Um, and a big problem has been United letting the the tone of the game get away from them. At home, it's a different situation. They they're not trying to tamp things down. Um, at RFK, they're trying to get after somebody, and I think that might influence the. I think if this was a road game, we'd be talking about Robinson. I think he would be. Kind right. of I think clearly one of my issues, yeah, one of my issues with Nicky as a fullback is he's much better in combination than he is crossing. Yes. And granted, Franklin is much more of an underlap fullback than an overlap fullback. He's mm-hmm. much more likely to come inside of the out, the the wide midfielder in front of him and combine and and try to to work with his teammates. So stylistically, that fits De Leon. I just don't know if he's comfortable enough with the position to be able to do that or if he'd just try to stick within 10 yards of the sideline at all times and get forward and cross mm. which is not his best thing he's much right. better passing on the ground than he is crossing he's not a good great crosser of the ball um and and robinson i think will just be more comfortable at the position on both sides of the ball and and there's you know i i taught a class in in school once and one of the things they told us in training is your most developed skills and the things you're most comfortable with are also jeopardized. You, you also hurt on those when you are outside of your comfort zone and trying to do something you're not comfortable Mm -hmm. with. So something you do every day, a hundred times, um, without even thinking about it becomes something you have to focus on in a new way that you're not used to when you're, you're doing it in a new context essentially. And that's what we're talking about with, with Nicky going to right fullback and he's done a great job on the right side of midfield and moving to central midfield. He's, he's been a soldier for Ben Olsen. He's been a uh, really good about managing to keep his things going, but fullback is a different thing, I think. And he's played there in really spot duties late in games, but putting him there for 90 minutes, I'm, it's not something I'm as comfortable with as some people seem to be. The, the, the only thing I could add to that is that at least this week he'll because especially because his midfield place has been taken away. Yeah. Um, the opportunity in training to keep him there full time is present. Now you'd have to make that decision, you know, that Last decision will already have been made. Like yesterday that decision was made. Um we're recording on Tuesday night. Um that would have been a decision that started on Monday at training. Um if that's the way they decided to go or at least you know, let's focus on this and see if him or Robinson or Mishu is going to be the guy. Um, so at least there's that. It's not when when you do tactical exercises with this group, the assumption is that Vincent and or if Jeffrey is back from his concussion, those guys are ahead of DeLeon right now um, in central midfield. So DeLeon is not having to deal with like, oh, you have to be a starter here and, unless we decided to go with you at right back. Right now it's if you're going to start this game on the weekend, this is the place you're most likely to be starting. Obviously a week of training does not make up for a career spent elsewhere, but um, it does at least better than nothing. Yeah. It it improves some things. You can hit the, the basics um, and the important stuff against a specific opponent rather than being like 
So here's a new position. You need to learn it in a couple days. Uh, good luck. Um, <laughs> that's or or like on the bench during the game. Like, hey, we're gonna bring you in. Uh, so you're right back. You've seen that before. Okay, go get him. Um, it's <laughs> a lot what easier. Sean does every week. You know what Franklin does? Do that. Go. Be like be like Sean Franklin. Um, yeah, there is a, a benefit there, but I I I do feel like a change has to be made. Um, I'm worried about Mishu's confidence as well as, um, anything else. I mean, it's tough for a young player to be directly involved in goals like that, where he knows, uh, he knew when, when Cochise scored, um, you could see his reaction was not just a, oh, we gave up a goal. It was my man scored that goal because I lost him. Um, and that's tough. That's, I mean, that's tough for a veteran player, much less a, a young player. It's a, it can be really difficult. And when you're not confident that, you don't want a non-confident player going out against Kaká um, yeah. or Molino for that for that matter. So I do think we're going to see a change. It's it it's definitely a big focus this weekend is who is named in the lineup when uh, that comes out. All right, we're going to shift our focus a little bit now and and talk a little bit briefly about DC United's academy and the now confirmed. Uh, I guess it's still reported. It hasn't been confirmed by, by the team. But the, the strongly sourced departure of Jose Carranza, uh, who has been a one of the top prospects in DC United's academy for a while. This was originally reported by DMV Soccer on Twitter, at DMV Soccer 96, um, and, and later confirmed by Charlie Boehm uh, at SoccerWire.com. That, that Jorge Carranza is leaving DC United's Academy and signing some kind of contract with the Carolina Railhawks. It's unclear, I think, from the write-ups or from, from Charlie's write-up and, and from the original tweet, whether he's signing as a professional or an amateur. And, and there is a difference, which we'll get to later, I think. Uh, but he's signing with the Railhawks who share one of their assistant coaches with the U.S. under-18 uh, national team. And they have a, and they have a really good academy. I mean, the Railhawks Academy is one of the best in uh, the U.S. Soccer Development Academy as well. Right. It sounds like he's signing probably as an amateur, but we're not sure. And but either way, he's going to he's going to play and train with the with yes. the academy, regardless yeah. of the kind of contract he signs. Right. He's going to train with the academy, maybe with the first team. Who knows? And then almost certainly go on trial in Europe somewhere and, and try to catch on. It might be Schalke, which has some connections here and has signed U.S. youth uh, in the past. Jason, there have been reports from, from Charlie and others in the past uh, about kind of discontent among players and their families in D.C. United's academy. Uh, the signing of Charlie Durkin, I think... Uh, Chris Durkin? Sorry, Chris Durkin. Uh, I combined Charlie Boehm. There's and too many. There's too, too many, many CH names. names. Yeah, Chris Durkin. I think helped uh, alleviate some of those for the time being. But but obviously this has caused some some DC United fans on the internet to panic a little bit about the state of DC United's academy. What do you make of this departure? Well, it's been interesting, that, and I think that there's a there's been a truism out there for a while that DC never gives any young players a chance. But if you look over the last few years, there there's at least one guy per year, more or less um, 
since uh, under Olsen, I, I would say. Um, Hamid became a starter as a 19-year-old. Uh, Nahar became a starter as a 17-year-old. Perry Kitchen was immediately given a, given a starting job, even though he was not his position wasn't available. They were like, we're going to give you the right back job just to get you on the field. Um, all those guys started as teenagers. Um, there are a lot of rookies who became starters as rookies. Um, De Leon, Birnbaum, um, for example. Um, the willingness to trade up for Buescher. Uh, as a generation Adidas player is another one. Um, rearranging the entire team and willing being willing to enter talks that might cost over a million dollars to get Lucho Acosta, who's only 22. Um, those all point to a team that is willing to play players that are in the sphere of young. They may not be very young. Um, they may not be young to Jurgen Klinsmann, who has basically... You know, if you're 15 and you haven't uh, won the Champions League, you must be terrible. Um, but uh, I feel like it's it's a more of a mixed bag than people give it credit for um, because they get – you see a homegrown signing and those players haven't played a lot. Um, therefore, it must be bad. Um, but I feel like in each case we've seen the circumstances have kind of forced that. Um, you know, or Michael Seaton – They've borne it out. Michael Seaton is now were, no longer in MLS. That yeah, he he went abroad, um, and I feel like you know there was a maybe an issue abroad and a step down, right? right. Not abroad um, to like England or Germany or or even France. Right. Um, he's in Israel in the I believe in the second division now. Um, but I think that was a situation where he thought it was time for him to be a starter right now, and there's a miscommunication of level of play and of expectation from between the player and the club. There's a, a bridge that can't be gapped there or a gap that can't be bridged. Yes, that's the one. Um, uh, but you, you look at some of the other young, I mean, Colin Martin has been injured for almost all of two years. Um, we got to see him in the preseason and he was fit and then he got injured again. Um, apparently I think at, during the NYCFC game uh, on the broadcast, they mentioned that he was in light training um, so he's missed almost an entire year coming off of a 2015 where he missed almost the entire year. Um, you can't play him. So he, he's his name has come up a lot. And it's like, well, he's injured. He can't play. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there have been some issues with D.C.'s homegrown signings, and it's been a little frustrating. It's frustrating now, that – Now Jalen's breaking through. Right. And, and his – his case is interesting because it's it was frustrating to me that he wasn't given more of a chance until – there was no choice but to play him against the Revs, and he played very well. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, you know, now he's um, gonna get real chances. Um, and he, w- if he didn't, if there was one more center back on the roster, he wouldn't have gotten that chance. Most likely, that is a problem. This is why I say it's a mixed bag because yeah, right. I can list those guys that broke through as uh, while still young, uh, as far as how MLS, you know, uses the term in general. Um, but it's not perfect by any means. Um, you know, uh, uh, to to look at this, the Durkin situation, I think that will be indicative next year when he's actually on the roster, um, because they've said that you know if he's ahead of the game, then they're going to not leave him on loan, so to speak, to the uh, Bradenton Academy, which is kind of how the situation works. It's he's he's not on loan to the academy because there isn't a team there, but that's what he's doing is playing with the the U.S. youth team, pre- right. prepping the plan for the World is Cup to- next year. 
the plan is he'll be there until the under 17 world cup and then he'll join the first team. But next year, it sounds like he'll take up a roster spot at the very least. I would like to see, especially, I mean, obviously it's based on one game on one game only, but I saw a player that was ready right now. Um, he wouldn't be starting. He wouldn't necessarily even be in the 18 every week, but he was ready to be in the reckoning to get considered for that. And even after, and even after that one game, he played a couple of games yeah, mostly defense, central defense, yeah. actually, for the Richmond kickers. And he's ready definitely for that level, yeah. at the, at, to start at that level right now. And I think that brings me to basically the first thing I thought of when I read Charlie Bohm's piece, which if you haven't read it on SoccerWire.com, you, you absolutely should. And and that's DC United's lack of uh, an in-house USL team. And I know this isn't going to happen until the stadium is there, but I feel like if we were three or four years from now and DC United had the stadium and had the revenue and had a USL team, Jose Carranza would be signing. At least there's a better chance he would be signing with DC United. And I mean, not- sure, there's a better chance. But if he's got European offers, he may, I, he may be taking European offers over the, a USL contract and the chance of maybe one day. Right. But it's not like he's going DC to. United. It's not like if he trials with Shaka, he's going to get a first team contract either. Sure, he's, but if he, he trials with DC USL, he's not necessarily getting out. But he wouldn't be trial. He'd have a contract. He'd have right. a guaranteed. And he'd have sure. an assured contract with a path to the first team, which doesn't exist no, right there now. There is no and path. Granted, could, granted there's get, always a chance. There's always a chance he will go Haji Wright, who did have a USL team at the LA Galaxy and decided, screw it, I really want to be in Europe today, and and go. And that's always a possibility. That's always a risk, and that's a problem in MLS where there are no. Uh, solidarity payments, no training compensation. And that's a problem, a different problem that U.S. soccer and MLS really need to get sorted out because that actually is a sneaky big issue. Mm-hmm. But that's a possibility. But I do think there's a much better chance that 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 Carranza would have signed with DC United had there been a chance for competitive minutes tomorrow. Sure, but as but I'll 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 uh, break the fourth wall a little bit and uh, talk about some and preview something that we're going to talk about in the future. Uh, somebody else could put it could put a discovery claim on him when he's on DC United's USL team. So there's even if he signs with them, there's no chance that United gets to keep him. So it's all it's all. No, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's all a little overblown, and I think the Sturm and Drang to you to preview his shulk, his possible shulkiness <laughs> is a little overblown because it's DC United and because there's all these rumors about things. And there was a, there was a one line. I mean, I trust Charlie because he's a great reporter, but there was this one line about how he was apparently told that he doesn't have a place in the first team right now. And, but it's one unsourced line. And I think everybody, since it's DC United and since there's this supposed history and well, actual history, People overblow it too. Well, perception it, does become reality at a certain point, and, and, then, and right now that's what, the perception. Yeah, and and that perception kind of it's kind of it, it's bugged me for a while because it's not based in reality. All I'm saying is that it's a mixed bag, um, and the perception is that it's not a mixed bag. It's like 100 percent true that if you're a good young player in DC United's academy, you'll never play for the team, and you better leave immediately. Um, and that's the truism that's that's out there, and it's interesting to read the people that are well connected in the youth soccer community. They keep saying that, and they keep saying that other people think that. Um, 
but it doesn't necessarily add up when you look at what actually happens with DC United, the the adult men's soccer team that pays money for you to play soccer. Um, it, a lot of young players get their chance to play. Um, I might not be satisfied with Colin Martin having to spend a lot of time on the wing um, over the years when he's made appearances, but I feel like every time he's been healthy, Ben Olsen has found a way to get him into games from at least from time to time. Um, it's just that the on the bench, right? And the the windows to get him into games have been so small because he's just had terrible luck with illness and surgery, and and this year it's a foot problem that. We've never actually heard, and this is maybe something the team could address better, is saying, like, his foot is messed up. This is how it's messed up. It's He needed surgery or this or that. We, I don't know that he needed surgery. I just know that his foot was in a boot at one point, and then months later, they said he's in light training. Um, and the team doesn't want to talk about injuries, and I, I get the competitive side of it, but I don't think clarifying— This isn't a competitive thing No, at all. But, you know, at, at, this, at this length of time, it's not affecting— the game-to-game preparation. I think they could have said, hey, this is what's wrong with Colin Martin. He'll be back in this amount of time. And then you wouldn't hear so much about people saying, look, why doesn't Colin Martin ever play? Uh, he's just forgotten. Um, with Carranza, to, to tie it in with Martin, that's part of the issue too is that the team has so much youth at the position Carranza plays. They've got Acosta. They've got Buescher. They've got Colin Martin. Um they if if they took him, if if the reporting is true and they took him aside and said we don't see an avenue for you to ever play with this group for the time being because we have three guys that we I mean him and Martin were in the same academy at roughly the same age if I'm not mistaken um or, or no no I mean not at the same no, age Martin. but no 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 but in the same time frame you you can evaluate the two of them and say like well we've got this kid that's a couple years younger but um, he's coming up, you know, which one should we look at down the road? Um, and they went with Martin instead. Um, granted he had the year of college soccer. Um, but when you've got three players in the same position that are all young, then yeah, it is hard to find an avenue for that, for another, a fourth guy to come in and find space, uh, to ever get on the field. And Carranza at this point in his career needs to be on the field. Um, so it is maybe Brings me back to the USL thing, right? And we can't. I mean, that that's money. That I mean, if we talk yeah. about the team not having money for all for right. all sorts of things, this is a thing that costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, this is why even healthier teams financially than FC DC Dallas. United don't have. Yeah, FC Dallas doesn't have one, and and they could easily just stock it with their academy kids and have no problems. Instead, they're sending win USL, (laughs) right? And instead, they're sending academy kids out to Oklahoma City or out on loan to. I know they sent Moises Hernandez out to a couple Central Central American clubs on loan, and they're Um, losing some players to Liga MX teams as well. Um, So, so it's not just a DC problem, but this is a thing that DC. It's it's. They can't afford it. I mean, I haven't looked right. at their books, but we know from context clues that they can't afford this. Um, they don't have a, t- a place for that team to play. Um, they don't really have anything in place for it. And until they get the revenue streams from Buzzard Point, which is two years from now, uh, they're not going to be able to afford that. And it's not going to happen overnight. They're not going to start uh, kicking a ball at Buzzard Point and say, hey, guys, in 2019, the USL team will definitely be up and running. It's going to take time, and it sucks. But there's also the economic reality that because of the financial territory the team is in, they can't fix the problem um, until yeah. 
Although a couple years, probably. I will say I want I want to see a USL team in 2019, uh, 2020 at the latest, because the revenue projections they've said publicly, the the front office guys of the team have said at season ticket holder events they will be in the premiere of right of MLS they will be in the top five teams but they as won't far have as revenue money. on day one. But a year later in 2019 sure. they sure. will. That money will be there. And I would like to see a USL team at that point, at the very least, I think for the long-term health, the every year you wait is more than a year lost. Yep. Right. And and I think that that weighs toward leaning into this. Yeah. The only thing I can say about the USL thing, other than all the other words I've already said is that I do hope, and I, I tweeted this out earlier to a few people. I really hope it's like, number one or number two on the to-do list once the yeah. other the, the other pr- more pressing issues are like, we got to pay some bills. Um, yeah. After that, this should be very high on the list because this area has so many good youth players. And if you say, look, this is the actual path to being a professional is, is you play in the Academy, you play for the USL team, you play for DC United. Um, and, and then working. after that, you get sold to Europe if you're really good. Right, well, or, or because even a if, lot of players, as much as they might love DC United, they do have those ambitions. Yeah, yeah, but even and the great thing about that scenario is that even if you don't get to that level, you're still playing professional soccer for a living. Yeah, um, exactly. And there are teams doing that right now. That I mean, the New York Red Bulls USL team won the USL this year. Um, they they clinched it early. They've already that 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 league is not done yet, and they already won the championship um, with often fielding teenagers. Um, and they may have more of a deep youth soccer um, uh, pool to pull from, but it's not like it's not like this region is lacking in that. I mean, maybe we can't stack up to Northern Jersey and Dallas and L.A., but after that, I mean, there's no reason for a D.C. USL team to even be like like an FC Montreal situation. For those that don't follow the USL, FC Montreal has been like dead last for two constant years yeah they're just real bad uh there's there's no way around it um there's no reason that a dc united usl team would be that bad um so it's a it's a a good place to play for you know you're 19 20 years old it's better than playing college um oh yeah absolutely so um getting that straightened out at the earliest possible date is should be important, and I would be very disappointed if it wasn't important. But we don't we don't have any way of knowing right now until you know if the team comes out and says, "Yeah, the USL thing just isn't that important to us." Then that's an issue that we'll probably have to talk about because that's not not a good plan. Um, but hopefully, we'll hear like, "Hey, now that we've got like money, this is very important. We're going to be building this immediately uh, to play as soon as possible because we've got these kids that need a place to play that are really talented that could become." the stars of tomorrow. They just need that place to play for two or three years. And that's where we're going to end it. Stick around. We will be right back to talk with Michael Citro from the mainland.com and preview DC United's upcoming game against Orlando city. So stick around. This is filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment. Would you, you can tell Uh me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? 
I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United host one of their three-ish, we'll call it three rivals for the last two playoff spots in MLS's Eastern Conference on Saturday as the Orlando City Purple Lions come to visit RFK. That'll be, like I said, Saturday, 7 p.m. So get your butt to the stadium. If you can't make it, it'll be on News Channel 8 or your local Sinclair station. But seriously, get to RFK because why not? It's been a while since we... We had a game to go to. Uh, here to help us preview this one, we have Michael Citro, the founder of TheMainland.com and a member of the Orlando City podcast. That's paw, like a cat's paw. Get it? Get it? It's clever. It's more clever than filibuster. Shut yeah. up, you. <laughs> Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you have, inviting me back. I guess that means I didn't screw up too bad the last time. Uh, no worse than we usually do anyway. What are you drinking tonight? Well, let me first of all tell you what I wish I was drinking, which is a, a very large, very cold glass of some kind of craft beer. But I didn't find out about this till noon today, and after work it was um, – we were having one of those Florida downpours, and I wasn't getting out of the car for anything, so I have no beer. I'm just drinking water. Well, you have a lot of that down there anyway, so that's nice. I, I know it's a faux pas for the show, but, uh, you know, it's – it just basically comes down in sheets, and it's it's not pleasant to get out and stand in. Understood. Understood. <laughs> so Orlando City is coming into this one on the back of two consecutive losses in which they shipped four goals in each game. Uh, where's their what, – what's going on with them right now, first off? Well, first off, thanks for bringing that up. That that makes me feel so much. You know, I like to ease again. into it. I like to ease into the interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's going on is a whole lot of getting behind the back line, and it seems to be uh, not one thing, but many things. It it almost looks at times like Orlando City is playing uh, an offside trap and doing it very very poorly. But Jason Grice assures us he's not employing an offside trap. It is just a matter of uh, communication, not just with the back line, uh, communication between the defensive midfield and the back line. Um, Antonio Nocherino has been out the last two games, um, or at least he went out very early in the Los Angeles game with a hamstring problem. And um, the team was playing 
pretty well defensively prior to the LA game. Uh, no Torino is part of the reason for that. He's had sort of a renaissance, uh, which is probably not what DC United fans want to hear after the, the whole, you know, schmazzle of, uh, you know, signing him and, and, uh, and all of that. But, uh, he's, he's actually started the season so poor that I think people physically wanted to harm him. And, uh, he's, he's actually, since Jason Christ took over, has been very, very, uh, performing very, very well at, at a high level. Defensive pairing also du jour is uh, David Mateos and Jose Aja, who had a rough go of it at L.A., but other than that one game where they've been together, they've they've uh, basically kept the opponents to one goal. So, um, you know, Mateos had a yellow card suspension last game, and Aja picked up a training knock, uh, so got a bit of a concussion and so unfamiliar defensive uh, center backs, uh, unfamiliar defensive mids, and um, yeah, just raining goals in Orlando. So you mentioned Jason Christ taking over the team. What's changed for them since Adrian Heath was dismissed and or left by mutual? What, however, they they decided uh, his exit was semi-voluntary or completely involuntary. Um, what's changed since Jason Christ has come on and taken over? Well, the first thing is uh, you wouldn't note it from from the last two games, but a, a little bit of more defensive awareness. Um, other than the last two games and maybe the Seattle game, the team has actually looked uh, competent defensively. Um, other than that, uh, a lot of you know a lot more interchange uh, up front. Uh, he's taken the the wingers and inverted them, so they're cutting inside on their dominant foot, uh, which is the opposite of what Adrian Heath was doing, which is having them have their, their wide foot was their dominant foot and, and having them bring in crosses for Kyle Lahren. Uh, the addition of Matias Perez Garcia has, has made the, the attacking midfield very dynamic. Um, we were led to believe also that from our friends out in the West Coast that that MPG doesn't play defense, but he's actually been quite good defensively uh, tracking back. And, and in fact, um, it was uh, very influential in the New York City game uh, that uh, that Orlando City won recently uh, by tracking back and knocking the ball away from Pirlo and started a counterattack that ended up in a goal. Um, really, it's just a belief, I think, more, more than anything else since Jason Christ has come aboard. There's more of a buy-in, especially from some of the more experienced international players that maybe weren't buying into what Adrian Heath was selling. Uh, Michael, I'm glad you, you brought up Perez Garcia, because I, I feel like I see a um, a little bit of a similarity um, with Patrick Mullins coming to D.C., a, a player who is unappreciated where he was, underused where he was, and then comes to a team in need of something and immediately becomes not just a starter, but a guy that is making a difference. Um, in that front three, or I shouldn't say front three because Kyle Lahren is ahead of them, but uh, in that attacking midfield trio, uh, how would you rate so far uh, Gar- Perez Garcia, Kaká, and Kevin Molino all fitting together? Well, they all play the same style of soccer, which is, you know, just they like those quick, short passes, anticipating where the other one's going to go, getting into space, and, and quick movement right after they pass. And, you know, they're not afraid to do some cheeky back heels and things like that. So they kind of have a, a really good understanding. Uh, Kaká and Molino already had that understanding but it was hard to fit a third guy in there. Breck Shea certainly is not a guy who, who played that style of, of soccer. He's more of a just bust your lungs, getting up and down the wing uh, kind of guy and, and, you know, play for power and, and speed. And uh, what MPG has done is he's given them three guys in the middle that, that all play that similar style. And, and it's made a big difference. I mean, the 
the goals didn't come against Columbus, but they there certainly was a lot of possession in the attacking third. There was there were more opportunities for some goals. Steve Clark uh, robbed one opportunity, and uh, the only thing I see that hasn't quite materialized yet is that this trio is not for whatever reason they're not linking up with Laren as as well as probably they should be. So that's something that the the team has to work on because Laren is one of the guys who, you know, per touch is as good as anybody in MLS at scoring goals, but he's not getting the touches that he needs to to be up among the leaders like Bradley Wright Phillips. Yeah, it's been it's I guess that's a that'll be a, a work in progress. You you mentioned um Breck Shea and and I think he's been used sort of as a now he's become more of a game-changing sub. I know Adrian Heath had him at left back for a lot of the time, um, or not all of the time, but some of the time. There's the ever uh, ongoing saga of what is what to do with Breck Shea, um, but now he's been making an impact out on the bench, not so much against the Crew, but in in previous games he was starting to, to find some goals. Um, do you, do you see that as more of a like a a blunt instrument that that Christ can use to change games, or is it more of a um, using the possession players to tire people out and then sending out, you know, Breck Shea can run or, or battle physically with just about anyone. Do you think he's looking for that matchup or is he just saying like, well, plan A has run its course and now here, here's plan B? <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit of, of all of that. I think that uh, Shea does provide uh, pace, he does provide power, and he is a guy that will wear you out. Now, if if he's coming in against guys that are already worn out from chasing around uh, Perez Garcia and, and Kaká and, and Molino all night, uh, he certainly does have an advantage. And he has been able to be uh, to be able to get into very dangerous positions when he's coming off the bench the last few games. So uh, he does look like a guy who can play that super sub role and, and do it pretty effectively. And you know, <laughs> of course with a guy making as much money as he does, you don't really want to have him for 20 minutes a game. You'd rather have somebody in that with that salary playing, you know, 90 minutes, but he's certainly um, a guy that is, is very intriguing. He's, it's hard to know what to do with him, but he's, he does have raw talent. He doesn't always put it all, all together, but I'm one of the, I'm one of the, probably one of the few believers that thinks that, you know, I don't think that the left back experiment had to fail. I don't think that it had to be cut short. I think that he showed, some moments of of actual brilliance. Now, whether he wanted to be there or not, probably had a lot to do with whether or not it was it was uh, working. Uh, but he had he had mm-hmm. games where he was very dominant in that left back uh, position, and then he had you know games where he didn't seem all that interested in, in getting out wide and and getting in somebody's face before they could get across. And so, uh, I think he was capable of doing that. But whether or not he a hundred percent was buying into that, I don't know. Uh, as of now, I think he's one of the favorite guys. Everybody likes to project him leaving in the off season um, or taking a pay cut. I think that he may be exposed to uh, the expansion draft and it might be a guy that can help you sell tickets and be a popular face in the lineup for an expansion team. But uh, certainly he has a place on this team. I ju- I'm just not sure exactly where that's going to end up being because uh, I don't think Jason Kreiss's tinkering is done. I guess uh, my final question, especially looking at this last game and really the lineups from Orlando recently, um, is kind of at the other end of the roster with some guys that aren't as well known. Um, when Christ came aboard, one of the first things he did was make trades within MLS to acquire the rights to players who were playing for Orlando City's B team. 
um, but that Orlando City did not have the MLS rights to because, of course, mm-hmm. in MLS there's a situation like that. Um, so he went out and got um, Tony Rocha and Mikey Ambrose. Um, I think, what was it, Dallas had Ambrose's rights and Rocha was with KC technically somehow. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but those guys, it looked like almost like a – fill in the roster kind of move. You're picking guys from a USL roster and bringing them up, but he's made use of them almost every single week. It seems like, um, what's, uh, how are those guys doing? And is that maybe part of the plan for Christ going forward to incorporate, uh, some of those younger players? Well, I think part of the problem with the team was, and it certainly was last year. And I think it it was a little bit of a holdover this year was depth. And I think what these guys did was they provided some, some better quality on the bench and when Christ came in, we were it just so happened to coincide with uh, not only an injury to Christian Higuita, which benefited um, you know Tony Rocha as a defensive midfielder, but also a, a very congested uh, schedule of fixtures. So he was kind of forced to rotate you know his his lineup and and uh, you know get different people in. And and I, I have to say, Mikey Ambrose got his first uh, MLS start out of Colorado and played extremely well. Um, he is a kid that they were very high on. When they brought him in, they had high hopes for him. They thought that maybe he could play his way into MLS. And, and uh, I know that Adrian Heath in the preseason used Tony Rocha in a lot of uh, in the first team a lot in the uh, the preseason friendlies. So I kind of came out with the bold prediction: as much as Heath liked Rocha, that somehow Rocha was going to play five or more games for the senior team in 2016. And it turns out Christ liked him just as much, and he's already he's already made that bold prediction come true. So uh, it's it's a little bit of everything. I think that these guys are providing depth. I don't think that they're quite ready to be guys that you count on regularly. Um, one thing that Ambrose brings that this team doesn't have is pace at left back. Um, Luke Bowden is a very solid, very intelligent player, but he is just dreadfully slow, like Pedro Ribeiro slow at fullback. You don't want that. You don't want a fullback that slow. Um, and Ambrose has that pace, but he just doesn't have the experience. And and so um, right now it's it's basically Luke Bowden's job, but I think that left back will be a major area of, uh, of search this offseason. So long-time American abroad watchers uh, were familiar with Seb Hines before he came uh, to Orlando City, he he was a he's an England player uh, at the youth level, but he had a possibility to play for the United States, and so people mm-hmm. saw him at Middlesbrough and were like, oh, maybe the United States can get this player playing playing in England to come to the USMNT, and then he came to Orlando City, and it seems like he's been an average MLS center back at best. Um, do you think that he's going to? be upgraded upon this season? Are you dis- Did you think he was going to be, be a better player? And uh, do you think he's still around next year uh, in Orlando City? Well, the good thing about Seb is that from a, from a team perspective is that he doesn't require an international slot and he doesn't right. make, he doesn't really make a ton of money. So he's a guy that you can have around. I, I personally think that he is a good depth player in MLS, I don't know that I would have him. Like if I had my druthers, I he probably wouldn't be a first team uh, choice. Um, he's a he's a wonderful guy. Let me say that Seb is one of the best guys he, that I've ever met. Uh, 
very uh very nice very down to earth dude uh you wish the best for him he also has a bit of a knee issue and it's kind of hard to tell how much that's affected his game since he's come over here every few games it seems it flares up and, and he'll have to leave the game early or he might have to sit out a game or two so um it's hard to say that we're getting seb's best right now with uh you know he doesn't complain about the knee it just uh Either he's in the lineup or he isn't. You're not really sure what's, uh, you know, what's going to be from day to day. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to think that maybe he's not able to give us his best because uh, of his uh, injury situation, and maybe that's affecting him. And, and who knows? Maybe that will uh, take the decision out of his hands, and, and he may be forced into retirement if that, you know, that uh, knee injury continues. You know, we play on AstroTurf uh, here in, in Orlando, and they're going to be moving to a grass stadium next year, so that may have uh, some effect on it. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that his. His tenure at Orlando City has been mixed. He's had very, very good games, very strong games, man-of-the-match type games, and then he's had games like uh, this past weekend against uh, Columbus where, I mean, he wasn't nearly the only person <laughs> having a tough game, but but he did have a, have a nightmare of a game, scored an own goal, and that's always something that the fans and supporters look at, and they say, oh, he was terrible because uh, he scored an own goal, but the entire back four was terrible. They just, the other three didn't score own goals, so... You know, Seb gets the bulk of the of the criticism there, but uh, you know, I'd like to see I like to see what happens next year with this lineup and what Jason Christ is going to bring in. And I don't, I, I have, I, I don't think that anybody on the in the lineup is untouchable except for maybe uh, number ten. Clearly, what Seb Hines needs to do is take a page from Brian Brian Namoff's book back when he was playing in DC. And anytime he scores an own goal, also score a goal at the other end of the field. Uh, Brian Namoff was a fullback for DC United, and he had a knack for always pairing those two things. It was kind of remarkable, actually. And then my uh, my last question is, is another roster question, just because it has baffled me throughout the year. So uh, Orlando City has, I think, approximately 15 DPs on the roster right now. <laughs> Which three are still... Uh, which three are still going to be around next year? I mean, obviously Kaká, but is there any chance of Brian Rochez coming back to Orlando City? You know, I talked to um, Nikki Budalic, the uh, the assistant general manager, who may be named general manager this offseason. Um, I just talked to him last week, and he he was, uh, you know, I my question to him was about the designated player uh, slot. And, I'm, and I said, did you have any opportunity during this you know, the transfer window when, when Rochez was moved to Real España, did you have an opportunity to get them to pick up enough salary to get the DP slot freed up so that you could use it somewhere else? And he said that that was never the plan. The plan was to get Rochez back to where he was feeling comfortable. He, you know, I think a lot of people remember his run at the end of last season. He was a very effective striker for Orlando City, especially coming off the bench to spell Kyle Laren. And this year he started the season with an injury that was – it was diagnosed incorrectly with the Honduran national team, the U-20 national team. And when it, he was brought in, he basically had to start over, you know, with rehab from square one. And that put him behind the eight ball. Um, you know, he basically was starting his spring, his training camp when everybody else was getting ready for opening day. And that wasn't obviously the ideal situation. When he was healthy, he was sent to OCB. Um 
and you know by that time some of the OCB guys you know they had uh, quite a bit of striker depth and and he was kind of buried over there as well so uh, i think when he finally did get in the games he was maybe pouting a little bit too from from where he was he wasn't happy things were not going well so they wanted to get him back to real espana get him comfortable again and get his try to get his career jump started again and try to get him feeling confidence and and uh, you know just feeling good about himself again and i think that the plan is to bring him back in next year and have him actually compete so i do think that roches will be back i think he and carlos rivas both i believe were signed to five year deals because they knew that these guys were young and they were projects a little bit but there's just so much raw talent there um so I do think that Rochez will be back. Rivas is a bit more of a question mark. He's he he had a great game against Montreal as a striker, and he has actually played more left wing than anything since he's been with Orlando City. Um, but he he fancies himself a striker, and he's the kind of guy that I think could work with Kyle Laren quite well in the the you know the the fabled diamond midfield four four two that that Jason Christ likes to play. Uh, that could be a very dynamic. Uh, to some up front. Um, I'm not sure what Matias Perez Garcia's deal is. I know that San Jose ate his DP slot for the remainder of the year. So actually Orlando city is able to operate with four DPs uh, because of that. And because, you know, MLS is yeah, uh, DC rules aren't took opaque or anything. <laughs> so um, I think that, uh, Perez Garcia is definitely in the plans for next year. Jason Christ has wanted him since he was at Real Salt Lake, and now he's got him and he's playing well, so I see him coming back. So I, I think that all four guys are in the conversation, but somebody's going to obviously get paid down next year. Uh, I, I do have to, to break in. Every time you say OCB, it reminds me of Old Country Buffet, um, <laughs> which is not a knock on on Orlando City B so much as the fact that when I was in high school, there's an old country buffet in, in Annapolis, Maryland, and we used to go there and act like teenagers at Let Loose, so you can only imagine. Um, the other thing is uh, that occurs to me to, to point out for our listeners that they might not know is uh, Rivas picked up a card uh, against Columbus. He'll be suspended for this game, um, which is not great for Orlando because he's been playing a lot lately. Yep, that's true. Yep, yellow card for Carlos. He was on, I think, approximately – 18 seconds before he got it. Yeah, it was, it was almost immediate. Um, but it was, it was a game where things were not going well. And as, as our fans, as our, as DC fans know, when it rains, it pours. Yes, it does. Uh, and you know, for the record, we used to call it old country stuff. A. Eh? Okay. <laughs> so after this game, this weekend, Orlando city will travel to Toronto East leading Toronto FC, which is a weird combination of words that I've never had to say before. (laughs) Uh, How much pressure are they under coming off these two losses, knowing that they're, they're going to be playing one of their direct rivals for a playoff spot. And then they have a trip to uh, the conference leaders coming just a few days later. How much pressure do you think uh, your boys in purple are, are feeling to get a result in this game at RFK? I think they're feeling a lot of pressure, um, although they're not saying that. They're saying all the right things. Uh, Jason Christ actually came out and said that he thought the team would play tighter if they had won the Columbus game uh, because then they would be above the line and, and be having to defend what they already have. Uh, and the, this way they're the underdogs and you know all of that, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not buying it. I think that there's a lot of pressure. I think the D.C. United 
the two games against DC United, I think are critical for Orlando city to have uh, an opportunity. And um, it'd be nice if the revs would go back to playing how they were playing. <laughs> that, that was nice when the revs were terrible and Montreal were tanking. <laughs> that was a nice feeling. It was a, it was uh, a brief period where everyone was relatively pleased. Yeah. And now everyone is like, Oh, we got a chance now. Oh, even if Montreal's <laughs> just trying to hang on. Um, so let's, let's turn it back to RFK this Saturday. If you were standing across from, from Jason Kreiss, how would you game plan for Orlando City? Well, you have to take Kaká out of the game, and the way you do that is just continue to throw bodies at him and hope that he doesn't somehow, you know, nutmeg you and, and get by. I think that the for as far as they've come offensively, I still think that there's a tendency to use the security blanket wearing number ten and to get him the ball in all situations and and say, here you go, you create, you make the goal. And I think that there's opportunities to choke the the service to the other players if you can get enough bodies around Kaká. So that would be that would be number one. Number two would be make runs behind the defense early and often as you can because there seems to be some spatial unawareness in the back line and of the, especially the last two games and uh, and in the Seattle game about a month ago teams are just able to get by them. And if you time your runs correctly, you're going to be about four yards behind the defense before they know what happens. So um, if you have somebody that's, I would say a guy like De Leon uh, is a guy who can serve in balls that are, are accurate enough to where you can get behind the defense and, and get some opportunities 1v1 with Joe Bendick. All right, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? All right, you can read our stuff on themainland.com, and that's uh, Maine, M-A-N-E, like a lion's mane. We're punny guys over there. Um, it's not M-A-I-N, so the mainland, or you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at the mainland, and uh, you can uh, find the podcast, P-A-W-E-D-C-A-S-T, uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Google Play, I believe. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, mostly, though, at the tailgate, because there is a tailgate this Saturday. Tell a friend about the show. That's really all we ask of you. Um, and we really appreciate it when you guys talk us up. So, Michael, thank you again for Jason and Ben. I am Adam, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Who had the stupid idea to give Space Ghost a talk show in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>